In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to St. Joseph's Chamber. And we are looking at the moment at the glory of Mary. And last uh, podcast episode, we looked at uh, Mary predestinated, uh, predestined, Mary uh, prophesied in the Old Testament, and her sinlessness, lifelong sinlessness, including from the very first moment of her existence, because she was immaculately conceived. And now I'm going to continue with uh, more aspects of the glory of the Holy Virgin. And this next aspect is perhaps the sum and substance. Well, not perhaps, it is the sum and substance, really, of Mary's glory. And it's the phrase, Mother of God. A very well-known phrase, one we've probably heard of uh, at one time or another. Mary is the Mother of God. Uh, unreservedly, uh, there's there's no need to say anything further, although you can specify if you like and say she's the mother of God the Son, she's the mother of God the Word, she's the mother of of um, she's the mother of um, uh, God according to the flesh, uh, but really the Church. Uh, prioritizes just simply keeping it to that simple phrase, Mother of God. And uh, actually, it's uh, according to the judgment of the Church and the ecumenical councils, the Church has felt it necessary to insist on this, that uh, Mary is absolutely... Uh, and unreservedly the mother of God, the glorious mother of God. So there, there, is, there is no need to say anything further, to clarify, as if, as if we're saying, oh, well, you know, hang on a second, she's not, she's not the mother of the divinity, or hang on a second, it's, it's not as if she in eternity gave birth to God. I mean, nobody thinks that. <laughs> so the church has felt instinctively in her history, that if people feel the need to clarify this phrase, then it's probably it's probably a sign of um, subconscious heresy. Um, it's probably a sign that the person who feels this strong urge to clarify um, what Mother of God means, or, or to change the phrase and say, well, she's not really the Mother of God, she's the Mother of Jesus, or she's the Mother of Christ. The Church's judgment in her history has been that such a person does not hold to the Catholic faith, probably doesn't hold to the Catholic faith. Um, for instance, in the 5th century, uh, and it, it needs to be known that the, um, Mary has been venerated and adored and loved since the earliest times of the church. Obviously, obviously, when she was still around with the apostles, they must have adored her. She lived with the apostle John. Jesus says on the cross as he's dying, he says to Mary, who is standing there watching her son die, 
an agonizing, horrible death for the sins of the world. She says, Jesus turns to his mother and says to her, woman, behold your son. And actually Jesus isn't referring there to himself. He's referring there to Saint John, the apostle, who was also there at the cross. Both Mary and the apostle John were there at the foot of the cross. And just before Jesus Christ uh, died, he said to Mary, woman, behold your son. I am giving John to you to be your son. And then he turns to John and says, son, behold your mother. So he gives Mary to John to be his mother. Uh, Rather interesting as well that uh, Jesus doesn't say, um, uh, sister, behold your brother and brother, behold your sister. Actually, no, Jesus offers uh, Mary to John, not as his his sister, but as his mother. Um, And so Mary lived then with the Apostle John uh, uh, for the the rest of her days, I presume. And then... uh, uh, from the uh, from early early on, then as far as we can go back in the historical evidence, uh, we we know that there were uh, very early pictures of Mary, and uh, we know that there is a very early prayer to her. The earliest one that we have uh, written down is 250 AD. A very clear prayer to Mary, appealing to her for protection. I fly to you, O Virgin, uh, uh, all, uh, all pure one for your protection. This is a very old um, prayer that's been actually recited all the way down um, down history in the Catholic Church. And it was it was fairly recently actually um, that we discovered. Uh, this prayer in in writing, um, in in documentation, and so it's it's a testament to the how the church preserves her doctrine and preserves her prayers uh, o- over the centuries. Um, but yeah, we so we know that uh, certainly um, at the very least, at the, uh, by by the time of the middle of the third century, uh, it, it was quite a wide movement within the church that believers were appealing to Mary for prayer. Uh, the very fact that this is written down um, in uh, in 250 AD very likely suggests that such a prayer or such ideas had been in the church already for quite a long time and suggests also that since it was written down that it it perhaps had or probably had a relationship to liturgy, uh, to the church's formal worship. Um, so we can presume, therefore, that perhaps uh, the early third century or perhaps even at some point in the second century, believers were, uh, uh, believers had started to appeal to Mary in their prayers. Um, and certainly then uh, with this, this cult following grew and it grew mightily um, because by the time of the uh, 4th century, you have very well-known church fathers writing prayers to Mary. Um, and then in the, by the time of the 5th century, uh, you have an enormous controversy that erupts in the eastern section of the Catholic Church. And uh, it was started up by uh, Nestorius, the Patriarch of Constantinople and Nestorius. 
uh, Nestorius uh, knew of the phrase mother of God, Mary is the mother of God, the Theotokos, or the Theotokos, the God-bearer, Mary is the God-bearer. Nestorius, the patriarch of Constantinople, he knew of that phrase and he despised it. He hated that phrase because he believed that, um, Nestorius believed that this phrase meant that Mary was the mother of the divinity uh, and and the story or and was the mother of divinity and Nestorius thought therefore that this phrase implied that divinity uh, can be born of a human woman uh, and it's and, and to be fair to Nestorius he had something of a point in that divinity cannot suffer divinity cannot die divinity uh, we say uh, the theological phrase is uh, divinity uh, is impassable we say divinity is impassable which means that divinity cannot suffer divinity can't be affected by anything creatures do divinity is completely transcendent utterly mysterious and utterly beyond us so how can divinity be born of a human woman and that that was Nestorius's point so he opposed very strongly this phrase mother of god he thought it totally gave the wrong impression he he preferred the phrase christotokos uh, he said i'm happy to say mary is the um the Christ bearer, the mother of Christ, but I completely repudiate the phrase that she's the mother of God. And he, he was very strong on this and uh, he was really taken to task actually by a huge following in the church, uh, which culminated in the person of Saint Cyril of Alexandria, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the Catholic Church, a doctor or an official doctor of the Catholic Church, who uh, really opposed Nestorius on this uh, and and said the very fact that you will not call her the Mother of God shows that you do, you you are separate you are separating splitting Christ up uh, you are splitting him up into a human individual and a divine individual and uh, what the actual reality and the faith of the Holy Catholic Church is that Jesus Christ is one Christ humanity, divinity uh, body, blood, soul the whole lot ev- everything that Jesus is is absolutely one and united so what Mary gave birth to must have been God <laughs> and uh, and so Cyril really brought to the forefront of the church uh, with with tremendous emphasis and force I mean he, he convinced uh, he convinced the vast bulk of the Catholic Church um, all over the world really that I, I even even the, uh, the, the Pope was so happy with uh, Saint Cyril that uh, the Pope simply said uh, yeah yeah I mean you you sort you sort this out I give you I give, I'm ha- happy for you to sort this out you can have you can have the authority uh, uh, to uh, to sort this issue out in the eastern part of the Catholic Church, I trust you, <laughs> and um, and that's what Cyril did. And Cyril's emphasis was so forceful that it, it, it culminated in the um, Third Ecumenical Council of Ephesus, Ephesus One, uh, where uh, uh, th- uh, four hundred and thirty-one A.D., where Nestorius was condemned. 
as a heretic, which means that he was condemned as a uh, he was formally condemned as a teacher within the Holy Catholic Church who was teaching explicitly against the faith of the Church, and therefore uh, Nestorius was deposed, and the Council uh, validated. Uh, and confirmed Saint Cyril of Alexandria's understanding of Christ, and this became the the official and formal teaching of the Church. Um, rather interesting, really, that uh, about uh, what was it, three eight or fifty years before, the Catholic Church had dealt with the issue of the Trinity. It's quite well known that, in, that the Catholic Church in the fourth century uh, finalized and confirmed and validated and sealed the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And 50 years later, the next big thing on the agenda um, was that Mary is the mother of God. And of course, uh, this, uh, it, this mightily increased... Uh, Mary's uh, reverence all over the church um, suddenly now brought right into the centre of the church and the focus of the church is Mary as the mother of God so this, this, is the, this is the glory of this holy virgin she is central to the holy catholic faith and I, I've been reading um, quite a lot of the catholic saints recently on what they think of Mary and it's, it's surprising how how many of them say that with, if we do not know Mary, if we do not love Mary, uh, if we do not run to Mary, we, ca- we cannot be saved, that without Mary there is no salvation. And uh, why is this the case? Well, it is because she is the mother of God and therefore she is a woman of tremendous significance. Well, I'll leave it there.